Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to the fourth season of Heart to Heart with Anna. Our theme this season is Tales from the Trenches, and we have two great guests today. Being born with the most common heart defect still means that you're not like everyone else. Going through the teen and young adult years is difficult for everyone, but it's even more difficult for survivors of congenital heart defects. Unlike their peers, survivors frequently have to take medication, have to see their cardiologists regularly, and sometimes even have to have additional surgery. What happens when a teen or young adult has had enough? How do teens with congenital heart defects rebel? Today's show will feature a man and a woman who both rebelled as young adults. They will share their experiences with us and, more importantly, the lessons that they've learned. Today's show is entitled Wild Things, When Congenital Heart Defect Teens and Adults Rebel. And our guests today are Julie Moorfield and Damian Martin. Julie Pritchett Moorfield was born on October 9, 1980 in Alaska with hypoplastic left heart syndrome. Julie's parents took her to Boston to be operated on by Dr. William Norwood, and she is the oldest living HLHS patient to have been operated on by him. She received the first kind of Norwood procedure when she was only a month old, and she had five open-heart surgeries before she was six years of age. Julie was not treated like a normal child growing up because her parents had been told she wouldn't make it, and they witnessed other children operated on before and after Julie passing away. Julie ended up making some poor choices that she now regrets. She wanted to come on the show today to let people know about the dangers some of those choices can pose as survivors age. Julie also wanted to share her experience with us regarding bullying and depression and how these experiences can lead to making regretful choices, but also how it's never too late to turn your life around. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Julie. Hi, I'm very happy to be here. Julie, you and I have known each other for a long time, but we've only talked on the phone a couple of times, so I'm so glad that you can be here today. Yes, and it was very long ago, last time we talked. I know. You were still in high school, I think, the last time that we talked, so that's been a little while. Yeah, about 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now you're making me feel really old. (laughs) I I just felt really old, too. Well, I have known you for a long time, and your stepmother wrote for the book, The Heart of a Mother, that I put together. And I remember talking to you as a teenager way back when, when I was revising my book, Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents. And you were telling me about all the normal activities that you did, how you played basketball and took your dog for a walk, and you did Mm -hmm. all kinds of wonderful things, but you never told me that you had been bullied. When did the bullying start? I remember my whole childhood being bullied. Besides my scar, the kids always ask, what's that? Or why do you have that? Besides my scar, I was bullied because of my speech problems. I couldn't pronounce my R's. But I was also an easy pick. I had short, curly hair. I had the buck teeth. I had the big glasses. And I was overweight. So besides my scar, I had other reasons to be bullied. Kids are cruel nowadays. Even though I was in sports, I was last to be picked because of my CHD, because I was slower than other people. And in PE, I would like hide in the locker room 
because I'd get Aww. teased for being last. Aww. We'd have to stay late or do extra laps because we took longer than the three-minute time or something that we had. PE was very difficult, the most difficult subject probably in my elementary and junior high. Um, well, it makes sense. When you explain it that way, it makes a lot of sense. But yeah. you know, I had no idea that that was such a problem. I actually did a show in one of my earlier seasons where we talked about bullying, and it seems to be almost a universal problem. It seems like oh, most everywhere. of the kids I talked to have gone through it. And maybe it's something that's kind of universal anyway. You I know, I mean, on. I was always the smallest kid in my class. Yeah, I was short. I was overweight. But that was... When I was from 9 to 14, when my stepmom was around, that's mainly when I felt the most bullied. I felt bullied at my house, at home, by my brothers, because they would make fun of me because I would have to take extra classes or I rode the short bus. And they were mad because they would have to ride the short bus, too, because it's the only bus that would come, one bus for the pickup, so have to be the short bus mm. and it would embarrass my brothers and make them get teased and so they would take it out at me at home so bullying was a big part of my life and now when I see bullying I stop it right in its tracks I don't care if it's at a grocery store or at a park or a school if somebody's getting picked on I turn around and I say something always and being bullied well, you know you. yeah it really made me think of why I was being bullied. And so I would try to change myself so that I wouldn't attend PE. I got bullied at PE. I didn't attend PE. I got bullied at dances or because how I would be dressed because my parents, they weren't the richest. Plus, they had five kids with one special kid being me, a bunch of expenses. So clothes wasn't number one. And nowadays, even back then, you had a dress to impress. Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. And so yeah. from what I've learned from you is that because of all of the bullying, that puts you into a state of depression. Can you tell oh, us yeah. when you started to experience the depression? And this mm. is also something that's not uncommon. In fact, the second show of my first season, we talked about PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, and depression because not only the survivors like you, but also the parents go through some you know, of these exact same feelings. Yeah, I felt depressed a lot, especially at home. I felt like my dreams were always getting shut down because of my CHD. I wanted to go to Job Corps at age 16, yet I was approved because I was a little rebellious and my grades weren't that good. I was approved by then, but because of my CHD, I was denied because of the insurance. I was a reliability. Oh. Um, I, you know... Oh. I wasn't able to, I wanted to go into modeling. I was approved for that as a teenager, 15, 16. I went to a convention with my little sister, and she wasn't picked. I was picked. And my stepmom, I don't know, she didn't think that was fair or something, so she didn't let me go. And she said, anyways, once they find out you have a heart disease, no agent will pick you up. And I'm like, all right. So I just always thought there was never really any good possibilities for me. However, I did get to pursue a few dreams in Alaska when I was older. You know, as a young adult, I did work as a commercial fisherwoman. And I also, ironically, worked to preserve our salmon at a hatchery. As a kid, my parents kept me busy with friends and family, girls scouting. In high school, 
that's when I really started to rebel. And I wore the black clothes. My favorite thing was I didn't care. Mm -hmm. I would stay in my room for days and days and listen to my music that I wasn't allowed to listen to. And I wouldn't help out with chores. (laughs) I didn't want to do anything. And mainly because I was depressed. So I would do things for attention. I would start fighting with my sister. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and it led to real problems. I remember after I had known you for several years, I was in the process of revising my book, and I decided to call all of the parents who were in the back of the book for the support group. And so I called and spoke to your stepmother, and she was really worried because at that time, you had run away from home. Can you tell us about that? Well, the first time I ran away, it was because I skipped school. And when I got home, my dad asked how school was. And I didn't mind. I said school was fine. It was fine. It was still there, you know. But he knew the truth. And I pulled my arm out to defend myself because I talked with my hands. And a cigarette butt fell out. So he learned that I smoked. And I skipped school all in one day. And we got in a verbal argument. And I ran away. And I loved the freedom. I loved that nobody judged me. Nobody could tell me what to do. I didn't have a bedtime. I didn't have to stay in my room. I didn't feel alone. I could hang out with my friends all day long. But I also missed school. I missed out on prom. I missed homecoming. Mm. I missed all the sleepovers with the girlfriends because I was too busy running away from the problems that were caused because of my decisions. Mm -hmm. My parents, they were like, what did we do wrong? It wasn't always their fault. Sometimes it was because I didn't know how to express myself. I would write in a journal, and I found out that that wasn't even my journal. My stepmom would read it so that she would try to figure out what was going on with me, but that didn't help anything. (laughs) I ran away 13 times in one year. My dad would pick me up from the police station. I would go through the front door and run out the back, get my buddy's car, and drive off and be gone for another month. I did not want to be home. It was mainly me and my stepmom bonked heads a lot. And when we wrote the book, my stepmom was sitting right next to me. And as an adult, I can say whatever I want to say now. But back then, she was looking at me, pretty much feeding me the lines on what to say. And I had a little stepsister, and nothing she did was ever wrong. Ever wrong. And she went to modeling classes that my stepmom paid for, even though she wasn't picked through an agent and I was. It was just a favoritism. So I felt really alone, and I didn't have my mother. My mom was in Alaska, and my dad moved me from Alaska to Idaho for a better life. And that's when I discovered wrong choices, wrong people. Yeah, and since you and I reconnected on Facebook, which I was so happy to find you after so many Mm -hmm. years of wondering what had happened to you, I know that you have told me that you're suffering some consequences from the bad choices that you made. Can you tell our listeners about what some of the choices were that you made and the consequences that you're suffering now? Yes, while I was a teenager, while I was rebelling, I felt alone. I felt depressed, and I experimented with drugs and alcohol. I didn't just have the cigarettes. I had the marijuana. I had meth, hard alcohol, the beer, the wine, pretty much anything to get me numb. And at that point, I thought I was invincible. I thought as long as I didn't get in any trouble, nobody would know. Well, I didn't know that if you go to a rehab or a behavioral health center, it's in paperwork and everybody gets to see it. It's not confidential. 
your medical records do get to see it, and that they will not give you a heart if you've been to jail. They will not give you an organ if you abuse your organs you have now. If you drink, why would you get a new liver if you're just going to keep drinking? That's the way they look at it. Unfortunately, because of my life choices, even though I am clean and I take my meds regularly now, every single day, on time, twice a day, and I made the choices to better myself, and I still am denied. First, it was because of my lifestyle choices. And then I went to Seattle, and they did an exam and a test, and they said, oh, well, in a few years, your antibodies will be back to normal because of your blood transfusions. You can't have a transplant because your body will deny it. Well, now they're saying that I would need a liver, lung, and heart transplant, and nobody will do that. But they could have done it maybe 20 years ago, but I didn't care back then. Back then, I was running away. Back then, I was making the wrong choices. And I really, really want to stress the importance of teenagers. But right now, yeah, it might seem like it won't matter tomorrow if you get drunk or high or stoned. But what if you get in trouble? What if you get caught with that? Then that's in your record book. Mm -hmm. And they do look at your juvenile when they try to decide whether you deserve an organ. And, yeah, it's deserving an organ. It's not getting one. It's not... If you need one, you get one. No, it's if you deserve one. So stay out of trouble. Well, one of the problems, don't you? <laughs> yeah, one of the problems, don't you think, is that there simply aren't enough organs for all the people who do need them. And so exactly. there is a process. So if, There's a screening process. There's a huge process that nobody really thinks about. They think, oh, well, if it gets worse and bad enough, mm-hmm. they'll just give me a new heart. No, they won't. They will look at everything. Recently, I was with a good friend. In ICU, she developed a CHD during her pregnancy. Her heart enlarged, and she was only 24 years old. And they were talking about a heart transplant, but then they saw that she was in jail twice. And that one time was due to a drug issue, but it wasn't her fault. It was her husband's fault, but she was there. Wrong place, wrong time, but she was there. She was denied the heart and died Mm -hmm. two weeks later. I was in front of her. She left a five-week-old newborn and a five-year-old. You know, it was like... That's a hard thing for anybody to witness. I watched her take her last breath, and that's when I decided I want to make sure to speak out and tell people, don't do that, because you might, even if you're healthy, even if you don't have a CHD, you might get one or need a different transplant, a liver transplant because sure. you drink or because of hereditary reasons. And because of your life choices, you can simply be denied and there's no way to fix it. There's no right. other There's no going back. Option. Once you've made those there's decisions. No, there's yeah. no rewind button. Yeah. Yeah. Rewind. I know. And I wish I'll, I wish there were for a lot of things in life, don't you? I wish there was. <laughs> I would have changed my whole life when I moved to Idaho from Alaska, I would have completely moved wow. on it. Well, maybe It sounds like you have learned a lot of difficult <laughs> lessons, Julie, and I appreciate you sharing the them on the show with us. I know. Yep. There were some people that just have to learn things the hard way. Well, a lot of it was personal, but it had to be said because it's what people aren't seeing that needs to be heard. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is something that needs to be talked about because if we talk about it and we're aware of it, then that's how we make more educated decisions. Well, we need to take a quick commercial break, but don't leave yet because coming up next, we have another survivor who will tell us about his experiences living on the wild side and what advice he has for survivors when we come back. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect or CHD community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Welcome back to our show. Today's show is entitled Wild Bangs, When CHD Teens and Young Adults Rebel, and our guests are Julie Moorfield and Damian Martin. We just finished talking with Julie about her experiences growing up as the oldest Norwood HLHS survivor and how she had some problems and how she has some regrets over behaviors that she had and how she hopes her stories will help other people to not make some of the same mistakes that she did. And I really appreciate all the stories that Julie shared with us. Now I'll turn our attention to Damian Martin. Damian Martin was born on September 25, 1978 with aortic and mitral valve stenosis. He has two mechanical valves, and then he needed to have a pacemaker implanted due to heart block. On March 18, 2014, Damien had his pacemaker upgraded to a biventricular pacemaker due to pace-induced heart failure. Damien's mother was a pediatric nurse for her entire career, so he was born into a pretty effective and efficient care program. However, when Damien went off to college, he took every opportunity to establish a rebellious lifestyle, despite knowing better. Now Damien is cared for by the team at Stanford's Congenital Cardiology Clinic, as well as their device clinic and a genetics dermatology clinic. Now Damien is a husband and a father to a healthy two-and-a-half-year-old boy and a baby girl due any day now who will carry the same genetic issue that led to Damien's congenital heart defect, but should be asymptomatic according to the various geneticists he and his wife have consulted. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna Damien. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I have so enjoyed getting to know you on Facebook, and I really appreciate you coming on the show today. No problem. I know that we got to know each other when I did another show that dealt with Teenage Rebellion. It dealt with kids who got tattoos and piercings and drank alcohol, which all of those things are normal things for kids to do. And you saw how some of the people in the heart community seemed shocked by that. But we all know that these are normal teenage rebellious behaviors. But today's show, we're talking about things that maybe are a little bit wilder, like with Julie running away from home and with kids doing things like the drugs, like the alcohol that they know as a heart patient, they really shouldn't do. So can you tell me about some of the things that you did once you left home? Sure. I think when it comes to being a wild child, for me, it feels a little bit like a misnomer because I was so good about health going all the way through the end of my high school years. And when I went off to college, I kind of reinvented myself as this person without congenital heart disease and took every opportunity to get drunk and go crazy. I never really got too into drugs per se. And I was pretty run-of-the-mill college student. I think the difference was, one, the duration of that time period for me, but also it was the mindset that I had with it where it was a conscious decision. I was angry about my CHD. I was angry about having grown up different, and I was going to take every chance I had 
to kind of stick it to that CHD and show myself and people around me that I was no different. And the reality of it was that I was actually very different. And the thing that I didn't realize is that when you get right down to it, everyone's different and everyone has their own things. But but I made the mistake of not embracing my difference and actually trying to live this different lifestyle knowing that they were not the best choices for me. Yeah. I think that it's perfectly normal when you go off to college to reinvent yourself, Uh you know, what normal teenagers go through or young adults. Uh But I want to go back to the expression when you said you were rebelling against your CHD. Uh I imagine, since you have two mechanical valves, you were on Coumadin. I actually didn't get my mechanical valves until I was 33. So, no, actually, that was part of the frustration as I had lived my whole life with this congenital heart disease that hadn't really reared its head in any kind of noticeable way other than me having to take precautions physically and go to the doctor every six months and miss school for a whole day so I could go to Northern California or Southern California to wherever my doctor was at that point in time. So really, again, it wasn't looking back. Logistically, that's not really that significant of a challenge, right? Bummer, you had to miss school. But it was really more that we put it in the framework of kids wanting to fit in and comparing each other and how cruel kids can be. I didn't have anything on the outside that would tell kids that, yeah, He has a problem, and that's the reason why he can't go out and play soccer at recess with you, or it's the reason why he had to stop playing baseball when we got into high school. It's the reason why he decided to become an athletic trainer instead of playing with all of his friends on the sports team. It's because he wanted to be involved in sports. It's not that he was afraid or that he was just not capable. So for my whole life, I had no real outward signs of a health issue, but yet I was constantly having to kind of justify why I couldn't do things, which as an adult, you look back on it, you think, well, there are worse things, right? But when you're growing up, it can weigh on your shoulders pretty heavy. So when I got to college, it wasn't going to be about not being able to do things anymore. Especially since it's not like you had that big scar like what Julie had since she'd had five surgeries. Within a short period of time, you didn't really have anything to even serve as a reminder. The only reminders you had were the constant denials of being able to do what you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I dare say that things would be different now. I think in the 70s, kids were treated differently in the 70s and 80s when you were growing up because mm-hmm. I don't think they knew as much as they do now. I don't think kids mm-hmm. would be as restricted. I think doctors nowadays let the kids self-limit. It doesn't sound like mm-hmm. you were even allowed to self-limit. Is that true? Um. There were times I was actually pulled out of youth soccer for a short time because the doctors were worried about the self-limiting behavior. But as I got older, it was more like, well, you can play recreational sports, but you can't play competitive sports. And what's the fine line there, right? Like I remember thinking, well, okay, then I'll try golf in high school. No, we can't do that. You'd have to pass the physical. Oh, wow. So you're right. I think you were denied a lot. Uh, I felt like there were a lot of times that you weren't allowed to do things. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So to your point, though, I think kids today probably won't have as much limitations put on them, but at the same time, I guess that's not really the point. As a CHD patient, you're always going to have things that kind of make you different from other people, whether it's not being able to do something or it's not feeling well or looking a little different. There's so many different aspects of health that really present themselves in different ways that affect us emotionally and mentally. Right. So what's the biggest regret you have of something that you did in college that you know might have been Oh, I think I just, I got hooked on alcohol pretty quickly, and I don't mean to imply that it was a 
drinking shots of tequila at 10 in the morning just to go to class, but I was definitely a party animal. I went from being a small-town kid who had never had a drop of alcohol all the way through his graduation from high school to pretty quickly being the social chair of the fraternity who planned all the parties and bought all the beer. And quickly, Thursday became the new Friday, and then pretty soon Wednesday afternoon was the new Friday. And it just mm-hmm. kind of became that cyclical party lifestyle that college often is for people. The difference was is that I was taking on risky behaviors with a heart problem. You know, you shouldn't really get too far down that path. And then, like I said, it was really more the duration of it that I felt like was the riskiest of all of it is that I kept it up after college and well, basically through my 20s. So I continued that party lifestyle. So I think really what the challenge was, I reinvented myself and I forgot after college to say like, okay, that period's over. Now I can go back to being mm-hmm. who yeah. I should be. And I just kept up that identity. And I remember talking to my wife when I finally did quit drinking And we were getting ready to start a family, and I had made some mistakes. I drove home from a work event after drinking too much, and fortunately nothing happened, and I didn't get arrested or I didn't hurt anyone or get in an accident. But it was very, very obvious that I should not have done that, and I realized that, okay, if I keep this up, there's going to be repercussions beyond just being embarrassed and scared. And so when I finally knocked it all off, I remember the biggest fear I had was, I don't know if anyone's going to want to talk to me anymore because for the longest time, that was what my personality was. I was the guy that you could sit down and have a few beers and a good time with. It took a while to kind of get comfortable with who I was outside of that. Again, that has nothing to do with CHD. I think that's probably a battle a lot of people face, but I think the difference was that my behavior started with, I don't want to be a CHD patient anymore, so I'm just going to start living like I'm not one. Right, right. And the worst part, in a way, was that your mom was a nurse, so you knew better. (laughs) Yeah, I knew better, and I'm very fortunate in the sense that it never became something that impacted my ability to live a productive life. I would stop short of calling myself an addict in the framework of what people consider addiction. Obviously, there's high-functioning addicts out there, and I would have a harder time defending that title. But it's one of those things that I was down the road far enough to where it started to get a little scary from time to time, and I realized that I had to make a change. And oddly enough, it kind of all culminated, let's see, it was October 27th that I finally stopped. And then on November 9th, I went in, and that was when they told me that my heart problem had progressed enough to require open-heart surgery and the valve replacements. And it was also, oddly enough, the same morning that I learned that I was going to be a father. So we had a lot of change in uh, in about (laughs) about a week and a half. I made a shift. Yeah, a lot of life changes. Wow. Well, I am glad to hear that both you and Julie were able to turn your life around. We do need to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. 
Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna. I really enjoyed talking to Julie and Damien and hearing not only what their stories were, but that they have been able to learn from their stories and that they have been able to turn their lives around now and that they want their stories to help other teens. So now we're all three in the studio together. Hi, Damien and Julie. Hi. Hello. Now I have two questions for each of you. Julie, what I would like you to answer is, first, the best advice that you could offer a teen or a young adult if they want to live a long and healthy life, and then also any advice that you would offer to parents of teens or young adults to help them quell bad behavior or risky behavior if there is such a thing that they can do? Well, my advice to young adults and young teens is, pretty simple. They have trouble and think of your long-term consequences of what everything is going to be and take your meds on time every day. I know it's hard being different, but like Damien said, everybody's different in their own way. And to the parents, if your teen is rebelling and getting into trouble, try to get them into counseling is my best advice, honestly. Let them talk it out to somebody else besides you. I know that every parent wants to know what's going on, but don't pry, don't read their journal, don't lose their trust, and perhaps get them into an activity like art or music or something positive. And make sure that they're aware of what can happen in the future if they make these mistakes, because I was told that not really informed, and I think education is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Okay, that all sounds like really, really good advice. Counseling probably saved me out of depression and had me know that I'm not alone. Walking into an office and seeing other people waiting (laughs) to talk to the counselor really ensures you that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. Life is difficult for everybody, no matter what state they're in, no matter what their health problems or religion or growing up status, everybody has something to talk about. And right, counseling, journaling, art, expression, that's all positive things that I highly recommend. Well, I think that's all great advice. To the teenagers, you're going to get these tools. It depends on what you do with the tools. They can tell you until they're blue in the face, mm. but unless you pick them up and actually learn the tools and practice them and do them, you're not going to succeed. You're not going to move on. You're not going to grow as an individual. Right, right. That's all great advice, Julie. Okay, Damien, it is your turn. Those are tough questions to answer because everyone's different, but I think for kids, the one thing that I probably wish I would have embraced a little bit more was that with those limitations that we have as congenital heart disease survivors, we have the opportunity to pursue other interests. So for me, it might have been sports that were my limitations, but I was really interested in arts and music, and I did pursue those to an extent, but I think that my advice to the youngsters would be find those other interests and those other passions and pursue them with everything you got and don't focus so much on what you can't do and and instead chase what you can do. And then I think for parents, I think one of the things that if we could go back and do it differently, as a parent, I would probably look at the people around my child, whether it's kids or adults, and I would seek out the differences in everyone. Like, well, what are... Joe, he doesn't have a congenital heart disease, but I'm sure he's got a limitation of some kind. Let's find it, and let's see what Susie's got, and let's see what Dave's got. And you just kind of keep pointing out that just because you have congenital heart disease and there's some limitations there, it doesn't mean that everyone you think is normal lives without limitation. I think that Mm -hmm. if we get right down to it, there's plenty of people out there, if not almost everyone, that has some sort of 
limitation or hindrance of some sort. So I think if we could point that out to kids a little bit more, they'd realize that being normal isn't really about not having a limitation or a difference. Yeah, and there really is no such thing as normal. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. I think we all discover that, don't you think, Damien? Yeah, well. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the hardest things for all of us and why we end up going through the PTSD is you feel so isolated. You feel like you're the only one this is happening to, whether you're the parent or whether you're the kid. And that's why I love what Julie said about, look, if you're going through a tough time, go seek counseling, do some journaling, find some healthy outlets for yourself. And I think you're absolutely right. Just such great advice from two terrific Thank you both so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you. Well, that concludes this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thank you so much for listening today. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern Time. Until then, please find and like us on Facebook and check out our website, hearttoheartwithanna.com. Purchase something from our Cafe Press Boutique, please, because that will help defray the cost of the show. And follow our show on Blog Talk Radio and Spreaker. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week. 